Heavenly Father, we come recognising that the evil one is out to destroy us, and so we ask for your help this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit to ponder your word, to meditate upon it, because we have put our hope in you, even as we recognise our enemies are around us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we continue our series in the book of Jude. We've been looking at this book together. We've looked at how, who Jude was. Uh, he was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus himself and the brother, full brother of James, uh, born to Mary and Joseph. Uh, we've looked at who Jude's readers were. They were obviously Christians, uh, a church that Jude was familiar with. And we looked at why he wrote his letter. It was to warn the Christians in the church about people who had slipped in amongst them who were justifying sin by presuming God's grace. We saw that in verse 4. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. There was encouragement within the church that you can sin as much as you like because God is gracious and he will forgive you for your sin. And Jude has then started to give examples that the readers would know about from the Old Testament as to why we should heed this warning. People who rebelled against God and were punished accordingly. And so we've been working our way through those examples in verses 5, 6 and 7. In verse 5 we saw the example of the Israelites who were brought out by God's hand, his gracious hand, out of the land of Egypt but then did not believe in him. Many did not believe in him, and so they perished in the desert. He destroyed those who did not believe, we see in verse 5. And then last week, we looked at the subject of angels, uh, these angels who fell, and we would know them as demons, who had positions of authority but abandoned their home, and that God has kept them, therefore, in everlasting chains uh, for judgment on the great day. And so we've been going our way through these examples, and so today we come to verse 7, which has another example for us of people who rebelled against God, and were punished accordingly. And who, are, who is this example? Who are these people that Jude holds up as an example? Well, it's the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. We read in verse 7, In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. People of Sodom and Gomorrah are held up as an example by Jude to his readers as people who rebelled against God and were punished accordingly. Now, he says in verse 5 to his readers, though you already know all this, I want to remind you. And, uh, and so you may already know very well the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. But nevertheless, I think it's good for us to be reminded of exactly what took place in the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah. So I invite you to turn back in your Bibles to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 19, which may be found on page 16 if you have a church Bible. And we're going to read... Most of the chapter, most of chapter 19, to be reminded of the situation that happened many years earlier to Jude with the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis chapter 19, reading from verse 1. In chapter 18, some angels come and visit Abraham. These three visitors come to him, and Abraham is then pleading at the end of chapter 18 with the Lord. For Sodom and saying if there's any righteous people in that place and he starts with 50 people and starts to go down 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 uh, then will you preserve that city will not the God uh, of the earth do right and we come to chapter 19 where the angels arrive in Sodom itself so chapter 19 of Genesis will read from verse 1 
It says the two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. And they said, this fellow came here as an alien and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, Hurry and get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you'll be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please. Your servant has found favour in your eyes and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here is a town near enough to run to. And it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to him, Very well. I'll grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of. But flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zoar. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulphur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land, like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Here we're reminded again of Sodom and Gomorrah and their destruction. And they are used, Sodom and Gomorrah are used as one of the great warnings in Scripture. They're used as one of the great warnings 
by the Old Testament prophets again and again, we see them hold up Sodom and Gomorrah as examples, as warnings to the people of Israel as well. We saw that before with the Bible reading from Jeremiah, from the book of Jeremiah. But even into the New Testament, we see the apostles using Sodom and Gomorrah as examples as to why we should not sin against the Lord, what happens to those who sin. And the Lord Jesus himself also speaks about Sodom and Gomorrah as examples. And so what is Jude doing, like the prophets, like the apostles, like Jesus? Well, he's warning sinners of the fiery destruction of the Lord that comes upon those who are immoral. And what sin in particular is Jude wanting to warn people about? Well, we've seen in the book of Jude already that one of the primary sins that seems to be a problem for these leaders who have come into the church is sexual sin. We saw it was mentioned back in verse 4. Uh, in the translation that we have here, it says a license for immorality. But that, uh, that Greek word there behind that translation is a word that's often associated with sexual immorality, with licentiousness. And even here in verse 7, where he speaks of Sodom and Gomorrah, it's very clear that he's concerned with sexual sin. We see that, as in verse 7 it says, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Definitely homosexual sin is being condemned uh, by, the, uh, by the brother of the Lord Jesus, by Jude. And, of course, we see it there in the Old Testament, in, in Genesis chapter 19. It's homosexual sin that is uh, one of the prominent features of Sodom and Gomorrah. But it's not only homosexual sin that is... Uh, homosexual sex that is being condemned here uh, by Jude, but it's also all sexual immorality in that sense. We see that in verse 7, that it says there, as I said before, that it's sexual immorality and perversion. And it's interesting, the word that's used there to describe uh, the homosexual act that was happening in, in Sodom as perversion, it's translated as perversion there in verse 7 by our translation here this morning. Uh, but the literal translation of that is other flesh, that they desired other flesh. Um, and so that can really be taken in a much broader category than just simply homosexual sex. Of course, other flesh would include uh, sex with uh, the, someone that you are not supposed to be having sex with in terms of heterosexual sex, that homosexual sex is definitely other sex, other flesh that you should not be having. But of course, other flesh can be any flesh that is not yours to have. So anyone that is not in heterosexual marriage with yourself is other flesh. And in some ways, this could even be referring to uh, sex with angels, which is what it seems to be uh, being even proposed back in Genesis chapter 19. Now, commentators all start to uh, look at this and whether it is angelic sex that these men are desiring, but it doesn't seem to be in Genesis chapter 19 that it is an understanding that these are angels there. But they're definitely other flesh as well, which may tie in with something of verse 6, if that is being spoken of, of uh, this uh, angelic sex with women that was maybe referred to in Genesis chapter 6. So it's playing on that idea. But definitely we can say that what Jude is concerned about is sexual immorality, which is with anyone who is not your spouse in heterosexual marriage. And so the application of this text is not just to those who struggle with same-sex attraction, but to all people as they may struggle with desires for flesh, other flesh that is not theirs to have, that is not their flesh to have. And that is what is being condemned here by Jude. And God then warns that all such sin will be punished. 
And we can understand from the rest of the New Testament that it's not just sexual immorality that shall be punished, as Sodom and Gomorrah were punished, but it is all sin that is punished. It's interesting how Ezekiel, he mentions Sodom and Gomorrah for their sexual sin, but he also mentions in chapter 16 of Ezekiel the pride of the people of Sodom and their lack of care for the poor. And so along with their sexual sin is their pride and their lack of care for the poor. And then if we look at the Apostle Paul, when he speaks of homosexual sex as being sinful, he also lumps it in with other sins that we would also understand are more popularly known amongst the population. Uh, we read in 2 Corinthians, uh, no, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul is clear. It is not just the sexually immoral that will not inherit the kingdom of God. It is all sinners, whether it's a sin of drunkenness, whether it's a sin of slandering and gossip, whether it's a sin of deceit and lying, whether it's a sin of greed and theft. All such sinners will not inherit the kingdom of God. And James, the brother of Jude, the full brother of Jude, says that if we break one law, we have broken all the law. We read in James chapter 2, verse 10, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one just point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, so you don't commit sexual sin, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. You're guilty of breaking God's law, regardless of whether you've kept other laws of God. If you stumble at one point and break God's law, you are a criminal, and therefore you deserve to be punished. So the Bible is very clear that it is not just homosexual offenders who are in danger of hell, but all sinners, all those who have broken God's law, are in danger of the fires of hell. So then what hope is there for us? What hope is there for us if we understand that we've all sinned? And so therefore we all deserve to be treated like Sodom and Gomorrah. None of us can say we have never stumbled at one point in God's law. In fact, if we're honest, we recognise that we've stumbled again and again and again and again. We've broken many of God's laws. And so we therefore deserve to be treated like Sodom and Gomorrah. So what hope is there for us? Well, there is hope. And it's given again and again in the pages of the Bible, and it's given even in Genesis chapter 19, where the account of Sodom and Gomorrah is given, and it's given in such stark terms, and you see the wrath of God being displayed in such a stark manner. But we see mercy being displayed in that chapter as well. Where do we see mercy in Genesis chapter 19? Well, it's in Abraham's nephew, Lot. God was merciful to Lot, and he was saved from Sodom. And 2 Peter, Apostle Peter, writing in 2 Peter chapter 2, he speaks about the mercy of God that is displayed alongside the judgment of God as well. Turn with me back, if you've got a finger there in Jude, to 2 Peter. It's just a couple pages earlier. 2 Peter chapter 2, and we'll read from verse 9. It's found on page 1,205. 1,205, and many people would actually parallel uh, Peter's words with Jude's words. It seems very similar uh, to the passage that we've been looking at in recent weeks. 
There's all sorts of commentators who try and work out which one came first, Jude or Peter, and who's commentating on who and who's uh, basically uh, borrowing from the other. But look with me now at 2 Peter chapter 2, where the same point is made so clearly about the judgment of God, but also the mercy of God. Chapter 2, verse 4 of 2 Peter. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned and sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. Here we see hope very starkly given by Peter in his book. As he talks about the judgment of God, he also talks about the mercy of God. What gives us hope? Well, Noah was saved from the judgment of God, along with his family. And Lot was saved with his daughters from the judgment of God as well. But how can we be righteous? How can we be godly and be saved from the destruction that we deserve? Well, the Bible is very clear that it's only by faith in Jesus that we can be declared righteous, despite our sinfulness, the times that we have broken God's law again and again. Why Jesus? Well, at the cross, Jesus Christ was treated as God treated Sodom and Gomorrah. At the cross, Jesus was treated as God treated Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because the sins of his people were put upon him. All their sin, by faith, is imputed to him. Sexual sin, all sin was put upon him. And so therefore then God looked at him and treated him as he treated Sodom and Gomorrah centuries earlier. And Jesus paid it all. As the one who is righteous in himself, he then paid the sin for the sins of his people at the cross. He was treated as Sodom and Gomorrah was treated. And so then his people are declared as righteous, are justified before God. They are righteous before him. They are washed of all their sin. Sexual sin, homosexual, heterosexual, all sin. Drunkenness, lying, cheating, stealing, all is washed away. And that's the wonderful truth that the Apostle Paul teaches us after speaking in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 about who does not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He says it very plainly, who does not inherit the kingdom of God? But then what does he say in the very next verse? And that is what some of you were. That is what some of you were. But what are you now? But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified, made right in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There is hope. For those who trust in Christ Jesus, they are washed of all their sin. 
and they are saved from the judgment of God because Christ has experienced the judgment that they deserve. They're saved from the fiery sulfur of Sodom and Gomorrah because Christ experienced at the cross the fiery sulfur of Sodom and Gomorrah on their behalf. So where do you stand this morning? What about you? Is the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah still hanging over your head? Is it? Do you think because you're not same-sex attracted and haven't ever had a homosexual thought, let alone performed a homosexual act in your life, therefore Sodom and Gomorrah do not apply to you? There's no warning for you given in Jude verse 7. There's no warning given to you in Genesis 19 because you don't struggle in that way. You've never had that kind of sin in your life and so therefore you don't have to worry. You think it doesn't apply to you? Yes, it does. The warning in Jude applies to you. The warning in Jude applies to us all. And if you do not repent, if you have not trusted in Christ Jesus, then in one sense Sodom and Gomorrah doesn't apply to you. Something far worse applies to you instead. Your greatest fear shouldn't be looking at Genesis chapter 19 and seeing the destruction that came upon Sodom and Gomorrah and all their wickedness. What should your fear be? Well, it should be that you will suffer even worse than Sodom and Gomorrah because you are unrepentant even after hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus actually teaches, that there is far worse judgment for those who do not repent after hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ. There is far worse judgment for them than for Sodom and Gomorrah. We read that in Luke Chapter, Luke chapter 17, no, sorry, Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, verse 20, where, what do we read in Matthew chapter 11, verse 20? Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, then they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, a city that Jesus was frequently in, a Jewish city, but you, Capernaum, Will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. So in one sense, you who sit here this morning and remain unrepentant, not turning to Christ, not trusting in him for the forgiveness of sins. You have something to be much more fearful of than Sodom and Gomorrah, than what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. There's a stricter judgment coming to you. Why? Because you have heard of the Lord Jesus Christ and Sodom and Gomorrah hadn't. You have seen the miracles in the New Testament performed by the Lord Jesus, particularly the resurrection of him from the dead, and yet you will not repent. There's a far worse judgment coming upon you than came upon Sodom and Gomorrah. So I encourage you this morning, if you've never repented of your sins, you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, heed the Spirit's warning this morning. Like the angels warned Lot in Genesis chapter 19, you are being warned this morning, flee from the destruction that is coming. I encourage you, repent 
and trust in Christ Jesus before it is too late. And if you are a Christian, what should we do in response to the words of Jude and to the words we find in Genesis chapter 19? If we are a Christian, what should we do? We should heed the Spirit's warning and not indulge in sexual sin or any sin. We shouldn't be like Lot's wife. We have turned from our sins if we are repentant. We shouldn't look back at the life of sin that we have left behind. That's what the Lord Jesus says in Luke chapter 17, verse 28. He says, It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it, the Lord Jesus says. Remember Lot's wife. She looked back at Sodom with longing in her heart. And we as Christians are tempted to do the same, to look back at the pleasures of sin that we have turned from and long for them again. Yes, we as Christians, we will still sin, until we reach glory, we will still sin. But we have to be careful about not allowing sin back into our lives and particularly as a way of life for us. Sodom gave themselves up to sexual immorality and to the indulging of sin. That's what we see in Jude chapter 1, verse 7. It says that they gave themselves up to sexual immorality that they indulged in that sin. They were unashamed. If you go back and read chapter 19 of Genesis, they're unashamed. Lot is telling them, no, don't do this. And they're unashamed in it. And their sin obviously is an habitual, it's not occasional, it's habitual sin that they are so involved in that they become completely blind to the immorality that is in their lives. And so we as Christians have to look at Sodom and Gomorrah and ask ourselves, is there a sin that's a lifestyle for us still that we look back on and still indulge in like Lot's wife looked back at Sodom? Is there a sin, sexual or otherwise, that's a lifestyle for you? A sin that you're trying to justify as these men who had come into this church that Jude is writing to were justifying it. God will forgive it. It's okay. I can do it every day, but God will forgive it. God is gracious. It's a lifestyle for you. It's not an occasional sin that you fall down in, which we, time to time, sadly, as Christians, we do sin. But are we pushing back against it? Or have we actually adopted it as a lifestyle, like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah? It's a lifestyle for us. If that is you, you've got a sin that's a lifestyle for you, then be afraid. Look at Sodom and Gomorrah. They're set forth before you today as an example of what happens to those who love their sin and indulge in it. It's the way that uh, the, uh, Jude refers to, the, to Sodom and Gomorrah in verse 7. He says, they serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. This idea, that, the, the Greek word behind that, they serve as an example. It's actually the way that they would uh, word used to put out a dead body at a funeral. They put it out as an example. They serve it out. That is what Sodom and Gomorrah is being put out before you today. It's like a dead body at a funeral saying this is what happens 
to the immoral? Have you got a sin that is a lifestyle for you that you know is wrong but you indulge in it like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah? Don't do it, is what Jude says. Repent. Contend for the faith. Return to Christ. Confess your sin and turn away from it for the future. And what should you then do? You should turn from your sin, but what should you do instead? Because this is the thing. If I tell you stop doing this and you try to stop doing that and that's all you do, you stop, then of course you go back to things. You need to go to something else instead. And what is that? The pleasures of sin need to be replaced with pleasures of God. And what are the pleasures of God? Not looking at sin, but looking at Christ. Looking at Christ on the cross, the mercy of God displayed for us. That should be our joy. That should be the theme of our songs, as we've even had today. But it should be the continued theme of our songs, looking at Christ on the cross. What else should we be joyfully looking at? Instead of indulging in sin, we should be joyfully looking at his righteousness that has been put upon us. He's paid the penalty at the cross for our sins, but now what has he done? He has washed us. We are sparkling clean. And that should be the joy in our hearts. And then, of course, not just the imputed righteousness, but we should be looking at the righteousness that he is doing within us and other Christians. By the power of the Spirit, day by day, we should get joy in doing the things that God commands so that enjoying the things that he, he rejects is no longer an attraction for us because we find greater joy in doing what he wants of loving our neighbour as ourselves and loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And so we don't want to be like Lot's wife and look back at Sodom because we found a better town, we found a better place to live of righteousness in the name of Christ Jesus. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we praise you as a God who has displayed your justice in the judgment of sinners again and again in the past. And as we consider Sodom and Gomorrah this morning, O Lord, we confess that we too have sinned and we deserve your fiery wrath to be poured out upon us. But Lord, we thank you for making us righteous by Jesus Christ and rescuing us like Lot from the flames, that he at the cross experienced your wrath in our place. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to not be like Lot's wife, looking back with a desire for sin that we have left behind. But instead, O oh Lord, we pray that you would fill our minds and our eyes and our hands with Christ Jesus and his ways. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to find that the joy of righteousness is far better than the pleasures of sin. And, Lord, we pray that you would help us to break any sinful lifestyles that are still amongst our hearts. And, Lord, we pray that we would not be like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, therefore. And, Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who's never repented of their sin, has never turned to Christ Jesus, has never trusted in him, oh, Lord, we pray that they would heed the warning of Sodom and Gomorrah today. But even more so, would they heed the warning of Jesus that it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah and for those who have heard of Christ Jesus and seen his miracles and then never repented. So, Lord, we pray that they would delay no longer and come to Christ and trust in him and know the joy 
of his righteousness. We pray this in his name. Amen.